message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. so excited this morning to, to, um, to share the word because I really feel that we are growing in the revelation that we have received everything. Praise God. And that's what the Holy Spirit's been saying to us all the way through the service, through the songs that we sang this morning and through everything that's been shared, that we would grow up really into this revelation, into this mind, into this life. And the Bible speaks so often of us growing up. And the whole of creation is waiting for that manifestation of what Christ already sees, as Ruby was saying, that we would see what he sees. And that's what the Holy Spirit is given for, this reason, that we would see what he sees. Just open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read this scripture that we read last week which makes a beautiful declaration of what it is to fully preach the gospel. It is, in fact, to declare what God sees. And this is Colossians and chapter 1 from verse 25, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking uh, concerning himself. He wrote this, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship, may say in your Bible, the dispensation from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is, the mystery, which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now, say the word now, been manifested to his saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. We proclaim Him. Gospel preaching is not proclaiming you, it's proclaiming Him. We proclaim His life, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving to His power, according to His power, which mightily works within me. So, verse 25 says there, I was made a minister according to the stewardship or dispensation bestowed on me for your benefit. Now, we know that according to Ephesians 4, and we'll go there in a moment, every person in this room today, every person in the body of Christ, every member of the church is a minister. Can you say amen to that? And here, the first verse, Paul says, what makes you a minister? What makes you a minister is what has been bestowed on you by God. Can you see that? Paul says, I was made a minister by what was bestowed in me. So what the Holy Spirit bestowed in him was nothing less than a revelation of how God saw him in Christ. That's what was bestowed on Paul. You remember when that happened in Acts 9, when the Lord showed Ananias who Saul of Tarsus was. And Ananias just went along and he told him, I got to tell you something. I've seen who you are. And you remember what the Lord told Ananias? He is the one chosen to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the Jews. He is, he's the one chosen to bear my name. And here we are all these years later, and what the Apostle Paul's doing, he's bearing the name. What does that mean? 
He is a son of God. He is bearing that name. He is bearing Christ. He's bearing the presence of God. He's come into the revelation that he and God, and he is in God, and God is with him. He is in God. God is in him. And he is bearing that. And that's all he's doing. And that is his ministry. Each of us are made a minister also by the revelation bestowed on us. You're a minister today according to the revelation you're living from today. Your life, in other words, is your ministry. Your life is your ministry. Your life is your ministry. We speak in there about our family and friends. And God, we hope that somebody speaks to them or somebody ministers the gospel to them. And then Brian prayed it. That's you. We carry the very presence of God in our family, in our communities. Praise God. But growing into that, that's a beautiful thing to grow into. How we are living today is the expression of what revelation we have received and are remaining in. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. What life you're living today is simply the expression of what you're believing. What revelation you have received, what has been bestowed on you, and what you are remaining in. In other words, you don't just see this once, you keep on seeing it. Praise God. All we have to do to bear the fruit of the life of Christ in us is to remain in, abide in, the truth of Christ in us and us in Christ. Abide in it. Remain in it. And we're going to learn what that means today. Much of the work of discipleship is learning how to think from, how to remain from, where we have been placed. Uh, one of the scriptures that most famously describes this process, learning to think from, learning to live from, Christ, of course, we mentioned already this morning, is that's Ephesians 4. Just turn briefly to Ephesians 4 for a moment, because we're talking about learning to abide in, learning to remain in, learning to live from, receiving this beautiful revelation and then living it out before this generation. And that's what God's doing in the church right now. This is Ephesians 4, a famous apostolic scripture we know so well from verse 11. It talks about these ministries that enable us to see this. And it says from verse 11, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into into him who is the head, even Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, into. Into Christ. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So Ephesians 4 describes these gifts, these what we call essential ministries or headship ministries, as being placed in the body, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, we said this morning, if what makes you a minister is the revelation that's been bestowed on you, then can you see that the prime purpose of essential ministries is to communicate revelation? That's it. 
We are all living right now from the revelation that we have received. And therefore, the prime purpose of Ascension Ministry is to communicate revelation. Now, there are many other tasks and practicalities, of course, and things involved in leading a church and all those things. But the primary overriding call is to communicate the life of the Spirit. Because saints are only equipped for the work of the ministry by receiving the revelation of their new life in Christ, who they are in Christ how God sees them to be. That's the only, your ministry doesn't begin until that revelation is in you and working through you. And we'll see that now. You know, it's a frightening thing to think that you can be in church for years and years and years and be doing all sorts of tasks and run to all sorts of courses and conferences. And yet, if you don't have a revelation that Christ is in you, you haven't even begun to minister, praise God, as God desires us to minister. Each of us are made a minister only by the revelation bestowed on us. You know, by the time Saul of Tarsus met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he thought that he was a minister of God. He thought that he would have been a minister of God for years. He had not been a minister. He did not have a ministry because he had no revelation. And it's astonishing that the very first revelation the Holy Spirit gives to him is, Christ is in his church, and his church are in Christ. That's the very first thing Paul heard. Jesus said, you can't touch them. You touch them, you touch me. Why are you persecuting me? Wow, what a place to start. You see, why did the Lord start Saul of Tarsus there? Because it's the beginning. That's not where you end up one day in the by and by. That's where you start from. You start from the revelation of Christ is in us and we are in him. From that place, his life begins to flow. But if I will not live from that place, then what's flowing is my old soulish experience and all my best efforts to one day be with him if I'm good enough. That's not ministry because that's not the life of Christ. Because Christ sees what happened to us on the cross. We heard it this morning at the table. He sees. And when the demonic realm meets somebody who sees as Christ sees, they fall because they cannot stand except on a lie. You shall know the reality, and the reality will set you free. Praise God. What the Holy Spirit bestows on men and women is so far beyond what any ear has heard, what any eye has seen, what any heart has conceived of, that to see it changes you. And to keep seeing it, keep changes you. It keeps changing you. You're being transformed more and more into this reality. It's like a light getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter, till eventually the demonic realm can't stand the light. We talked, we prayed this morning about you going into rooms and the very presence of God walking in this week. This week, people are going to get really upset with you. You know why? Because everything of darkness in them is reacting against the very light in you, praise God. This manifestation is just so beautiful. Keep seeing it, keep let it changing you. You know, later in chapter 3 of Colossians, and we put this scripture up every Sunday morning, the Apostle Paul speaks again about the key to abiding in this revelation, the key to allowing the very life of Christ to minister and to manifest through you. And he says it so clearly in Colossians 3, 3. He talks about keeping your eyes set on the things above, not on earthly things, he said. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, the reason why that sounds so foreign, so stupid, so foolish to us in the church is because for years that's not the way we've been brought up. 
We have been brought up to believe that you're with Christ eventually, one day, when you die. That's the way that we were all brought up in our various religious upbringings. Union with Christ will only be ours after we have died. So we grew up thinking, yes, one day, in the by and by, after we die, then we'll be hidden with Christ in God. And I guess I better just keep on working in the meantime to try and get closer to God. That's a religious or an earthly mindset. Pure and simple. And the church is chock full of it in you and in me. An earthly mindset. Not surprising, because the whole world around us thinks that way. I mean, God's not here, is he? And if he is somewhere, he's probably somewhere else that we have to get to. That's an earthly mindset. But according to the New Testament, that earthly mindset is not the way the Lord sees. That's how all earthly religions see God, as living somewhere else that we have to get to one day when we die. To begin to see from the heavenly realm is to begin to see by the Spirit something that no earthly religion can show you. Only the Holy Spirit can show you. And this is why in Colossians 3, we're exhorted to set our minds higher than the earthly realm. It's the first thing that Paul says we'll see when we set our minds into the heavenly realm, when we seek that, Lord, show me what you see. Show me what you see. Well, set your mind on things above, not on the earth below, because you died. That's what the Holy Spirit is showing to the church. Church, that old religious you, he died. This is what Jesus saw. This is what Jesus saw. This is what Jesus saw when he saw Satan fall like lightning. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You can never see your life as hidden with Christ in God until you first begin to see that you already died. So according to the religion of the earth, one day you will die and be with God. If. Careful. One day. If. But according to the gospel of heaven, believer, you did die. And your life is, is today, hidden with Christ in God. How foolish does that sound? To you and I right now is a measure of how much my earthly mindset is dominating my spirit. How religious I am as such. And uh, Ruby read this morning, it has pleased me, Jesus said, Father, that you have revealed these things to little children, not to the wise and to the learned, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, my goodness, he said, these things sound absolute foolishness to the natural man. The natural man cannot accept these things because they are foolishness. You need to become like a child to believe this sort of thing. Praise the Lord. Any children here of God? Praise God. Absolutely. So how can I tell if I'm living more by the religion of the earth than the gospel of heaven? Living more by natural earthly wisdom than spiritual wisdom? Well, if I refuse to accept what the Holy Spirit is declaring about my life now being hidden with Christ and God because it sounds too foolish, then I may have been in the church for decades, but I am a naturally minded believer. And as my life, which is my ministry, can only be a manifestation of what I have believed, the revelation I'm living from, then what I'm ministering mainly is separation, not union. What does that look like? Well, as a believer, if I choose to live by natural sight, by earthly understanding, to live religiously, then I'm now spending all of my life waiting for something to happen in order for God and I to be together. Oh, I need to say that again. The more earthly-minded, religious-minded I am, the more this life to me is a matter of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for one day when I and God will be together. 
So I find that as a natural-minded believer, it's a life of waiting either, well, how's that going to happen? I mean, how can the natural man be with God? There's only two ways. Either I have to go be with God, or he's got to come be with me. Would you agree with that? That's the natural man. The natural man says, well, listen, I'm obviously not with God, and there's only two ways it's going to happen. Either I'm going to go and be with him one day, or he's going to come and be with me one day. What does that look like in the church? Well, either you're waiting to die to go to be with God. Anybody been there? Got the t-shirt? Or you're waiting for a revival. You're waiting for God to come and be with me. As for church, well, that's just something you do while you're waiting. Terrible mindset, isn't it? That's where many people live. Church, this is something we do just while we're waiting. While we're waiting. The whole of creation is waiting for the church to wake up. Praise God to Christ and us and us in Christ. So here's the truth the Holy Spirit declares to every believer. Christ in heaven one day is not your hope. Christ in you today is your hope. Christ in you today is your hope. Don't let natural religious thinking defer your hope because hope deferred makes the heart sick. What's your heart? It's your ability to believe, isn't it? It's your ability to believe. Keep waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do something and eventually you'll give up on God ever doing anything. You see? Waiting destroys your heart. The Bible has a word for that. It says unbelief, the hardening of the heart. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Here's the truth that the Holy Spirit declares to every believer. Christ in heaven one day is not your hope. Christ in you today is your hope. Unbelief is described in Scripture as a hardened heart, a heart that has waited and waited so long for God to do something that finally it struggles to accept what God has done. I think of Zacharias in the temple, had been waiting so long for a child, him and Elizabeth, prayed so long, eventually the total of unbelief, you know. If you live, you see, waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do something, be very, very careful that your heart doesn't get filled with unbelief. It's quite possible to be filled with unbelief sitting in a church for years. Because you're in a mindset that one day God will do something. My goodness, who loves that mindset? The devil, of course. You you can believe all you like that one day God will do something. He's happy as long as you never believe in what he's already done. That today is the day. The more we are filled by the vision of the Spirit on our lives, the more we see that he who did not withhold his own Son and his own Spirit from us has in truth withheld no good thing from us. The more we resist the Holy Spirit, this foolish message, the more we spend our earthly lives waiting for God to give us what he has already given us. If you still believe that all that is in Christ, his righteousness and his wisdom and his redemption, as John was singing this morning, we can only receive after you die, then the Holy Spirit has something to say to you which will really help you to receive. And here it is. You died. Is that better now? Are you waiting till you die to receive? Here's the truth. You died. You died. Oh, what a foolish message. What are you talking about? Oh, I'll just keep saying it then. You died. You died. It is foolishness. It's foolishness to the natural mind. But you're not a natural person, are you? What did Paul say to the Corinthians? Why are you living like mere men? Why would you live like mere men? You're not mere men. You're not natural men. Whatever way you're waiting, one thing is for sure. As long as in your mind, you're thinking, you're believing, you have separated yourself from God, then the kingdom of God and the presence of God is not yet being manifested in this earth through you as God intended it to be. And as long as we're not 
remaining, not allowing the presence of God to well up as a fountain within us, that our souls will remain thirsty. And rather than continually be seeking and drinking from the things that are above, we will continue to be looking for satisfaction in this world for our souls. You see, we were built for God. Turn to your neighbor and say, we were built for God. <laughs> we were built for nothing less than union with God. And until our souls receive that, they're never going to be satisfied. Or turn to your neighbor and say, we're never going to be satisfied. <laughs> and we don't see what God has given us. Come on. Nothing less than that can satisfy the human soul. You see, that's where immorality comes from. The Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians to address, among other things, sexual immorality in the church. And he knew the reason that Corinthian Christians were joining themselves with others in immoral unions because they were living unaware of their union with Christ, unaware of his very presence living in them. Hence, his remedy to them was to declare to them their union with Christ because only living from that revelation that he has bestowed on you can you see that we're not to live as mere men. And so his antidote to all their sexual immorality, all their immoral joining was to say to them, no, you're not. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the very temple of the Holy Spirit. That was his solution to their problem because he knew that they had primarily, they had a seeing problem, not so much a sinning problem as a seeing problem. Paul knew the most powerful strategy to deal with the cravings or the lusts or the desires of a thirsty soul is to give that soul nothing less than what he or she was built for. And you were built for the very presence of God. Amen. That's what we're built for. Amen. Very presence of God. It's the only thing that satisfies. So how do we best minister the presence of God? How do believers best minister the presence of God? Well, when you're a believer during an average week, where do you normally think of as a place where you can go and experience the presence of God? Well, I mean, we talk about it all the time. Oh, did you not experience the presence of God in church today? When we come together as the body, there is a dynamic there where we can really experience the presence of God in a beautiful way. But that's a very limited mindset. People would normally say, well, when I'm gathered together in church on a Sunday, there I experience the presence of God. And uh, therefore, Christians could also agree and say, well, you know what? The things I do at home and the things I say at home that I never say in church. Oh, why not? Well, because you'd never... I couldn't, I just couldn't do those things in the presence of God. Absolutely. And that's God's way of dealing with all these issues in our life. It's the presence of God. In the presence of God, those things cannot exist. So don't leave the presence of God in a building, for God's sake. Be the presence of God. Be thee filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the antidote to everything, every issue in the life of a believer, to set you free. Be thee filled with this revelation. Jesus said, my words are like spirit. My words are my spirit. And so to be filled with this beautiful gospel is to be filled with that revelation of the presence of God. So if we decide that we're going to free people from ungodly behavior, there's two ways in the church that people minister the presence of God. If you've got an earthly religious mindset, then you use earthly wisdom. But if you can receive the gospel of heaven, then you can use spiritual wisdom. Because earthly religion only sees Christians as one day being with God when they die, so earthly wisdom's whole emphasis can only point forward to that day and say, careful, watch that behavior. 
Because one day, you're going to have to stand in the presence of God, get that cleaned up before that day. You see, earthly wisdom can only point forward to a day. But the gospel of heaven declares something much more powerful. It says, believer, awake to righteousness and sin not. Awake to the presence of God. Know you not, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're standing in the very presence of God. Or I trust you're sitting in the very presence of God. That's the most powerful thing in the world. Praise God to deal with everything in our life, every issue or darkness or lust or thirst that's not being satisfied in this world because we're meant for the presence of God. The presence of God is one with your spirit. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Do you know who Paul said that to? 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He said it to the people who were sleeping around. He said, what are you doing? Why would you take a body, your body, and join it to somebody else when he who is your very life is joined to your spirit? He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. See, religion tells you to clean your life up in order to be with God one day. The gospel says, open your eyes, believer. Your unclean life died on that cross, and you were raised hidden with Christ and God. So lay aside the old self and be renewed in the spirit of your mind to put on the new man created in God in righteousness and holiness. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 23 and 24. In other words, it's saying the only way to overcome the darkness of separation, sin, is with the light of union, Christ. Amen. Christ. Let the light of God, the life of God in you, so fill you as to drive out every darkness and shadow of that old sin, that old separated mindset. See, no one here will go into a dark room and attempt to brush the darkness out with a brush. I mean, how crazy would that be? What would you do in a dark room to get the darkness out? You let the light shine, isn't that right? It's just as crazy to attempt to sweep the darkness out of the human soul using a stick called the law. It's just as crazy. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the revelation of Christ in you. Let your temple be full of the presence of God because no flesh stands in the presence of God. And flesh being the separated mindset. You see, you can't have a separated mindset when you're coming into the revelation that Christ is in me and I'm in Christ. Wow. Here, today, today is the holy and acceptable day of the Lord. Today is the day. Today is the day. Great is thy faithfulness. New are his mercies every morning. For all I have needed, his hand has provided. We read this morning from Peter. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, he has given us in Christ Jesus. It's all given. Oh my goodness, you know, the whole of, the whole of hell is shaken with fear. I tell you this now. The kingdom of darkness trembles with fear that the kings and the sons of the kings would awaken to the reality of what happened at the cross. Absolute reality of what happens at the cross. If you don't awaken to that, if you don't awaken to this life that we have in Christ now, ministry does not even begin. Because we live from Christ for this life of Christ. The only way to overcome that darkness is to be filled with that light. Romans 13 verse 14 says it this way. The only way to make no provision for the flesh is to put on Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, put on Jesus Christ. That's why Paul could write to the Romans in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in, in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Oh, come on, that's worth saying. 
Come on. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order the righteous requirement of the law might be met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the, the spirit. Paul said it to the Galatians in this way, if you walk after the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So the flesh of the natural man, he sees himself as apart from God, and so he walks through his life with a great emptiness, a great thirst in him. Immorality is an attempt to quench a thirst that cannot be quenched by anything or anyone but the one we were made to be filled by, God's Spirit. The lust of the flesh is man's desire for everything, because you know what? We were made for everything, for in him we have everything. Nothing less than union with God himself. And until he experiences that union, man will keep grasping for more. I mentioned this in Moville on Thursday night, and I know I've told this before, but many years ago, such a wonderful illustration. My father picked up an old farmer he knew. One day he was driving to Bunkrana, and this man he gave a lift to, this man was a well-known, God bless him, this man had a terrible drink problem, and he basically he drank everything away. And my dad was talking to him, really, and, and he said he was on his way to the doctor. He'd been there last month, and he was going back to get the results. But the doctor had put a scope down his throat to look at his esophagus because he was having problems, probably from all the drinking, you see. And eventually, the doctor took the scope out, and he said, Well, doc, what can you see? And the doctor says, Well, good news, I can see nothing. And my dad never forgot that man's reply. He says, You can see nothing. Well, that's great. I mean, I have put down... 40 acres of land, 100 head of cattle, and two Massey Ferguson tractors down there, and you can see nothing. <laughs> he had drank the whole lot away. Because if you don't test what you were made for, nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will satisfy. You see, God's way of cleaning up the church, if you want to clean up the church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be thee filled with the Holy Spirit. What your body is actually craving for is what it was made for, the filling of God's Spirit. And so to hear the gospel is to be filled with the revelation of Christ in you, if you're hearing the right gospel, that is. Let your soul and body be satisfied by the welling up within you of the Holy Spirit, for he is the living water that the Lord said would become a fountain welling up within you to eternal life, so that you would never be thirsty again. What makes you a minister is what is bestowed on you from God. So what the Holy Spirit bestows on men and women is so far beyond what any ear has heard, what any eye has seen, what any heart has conceived of, so far beyond what religion has ever told us that to see it and to keep on seeing it is to be transformed utterly, praise God, into who Christ sees you to be, praise the Lord. All our heart's desires have been met in Christ. For God has given us all that he has to give. Or as Paul said to the Corinthians when he heard that believers were in competition with each other, he said this, Don't you know that all things belong to you, whether the world or life or death or things present or things to come? All things belong to you. Turn to your neighbor and say, all things belong to you. That's 1 Corinthians 3, 22 and 23. Once believers begin to see themselves as hidden with Christ and God, the real ministry begins. For ministry is simply the expression of who we are in God. Here is who we are in God. 
We are the people who have been given everything. Isn't that great? <laughs> George, isn't that great? We are the people who have been given everything. Oh, no, no, I think I need to say that again. We are the people who've been given everything. For all things are yours, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs. We are the people. You know what comes when you really believe that? Just ask somebody who won the lottery last week. They'll tell you what comes when you know that you own everything. You know why God so loved the world? Because it was his world. You want to have the love of God? And get a revelation. He has given us everything. For if he did not withhold his own son, but delivered up for us all, how shall he not with him give us everything? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And when you believe that, you know what begins to manifest in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience. It's good to be patient when you know you have everything. What are you worried about? You have everything. You own everything. You can be as patient as you like. You own everything. Be as patient as you like. People just get really upset around Jesus going, come on, you need to get up and get preaching. He said, I don't need to prove anything. I know who I am. I know who I am. And when you know who you are, you don't have to prove a thing to anybody either. I find most of my Christian life is trying to prove myself to other people. You get a revelation of who you are, you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You can just be yourself. The person who has everything. Okay, so turn to the person beside you and say, I'm the person who has everything. Ah, ah. Is that sore to say that? Is that sore to say that? You see, if there's rejection has got a stronghold in your life, you can't say that. I heard a phrase. It was Des Farrell who shared this phrase. Someone told me about it. He said, when I go to sleep at night, I have to throw two people out of the bed. Per me and why me? Good. Per me and why me? Throw them out of the bed. Shouldn't be in your life if you're a believer. Isn't that right? Per me and why me? <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? Praise God. What makes you a believer? What has been bestowed on you? We are the people who have been given everything. And from that belief flows and grows the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When believers see and keep seeing that in Christ all things have been given to us, now their lives can become an expression of what they're seeing, what they're believing, that they are in God and God is in them. And their hope and their life is no longer found in what they're doing for God, as if they and God are apart, but in what God is doing in them. As a believer, your hope is Christ in you and you in Christ. As a believer, your life is Christ in you and you in Christ. As a believer, your ministry is Christ in you, and you in Christ. Your ministry, your life, is simply the fruit of your life in Christ and his life in you. If your life in Christ is your ministry, the ministry is not something that can be confined to a building. Do you believe that? You are a minister today according to the revelation you're living from today, according to how much you're remaining in that revelation that you were birthed into, Christ in you and you in Christ. If you will remain in that revelation, then you will bear much fruit. But if you do not remain in that revelation, but start to think of yourself as apart from him, then you cannot bear the life of Christ, because the life of Christ is not an apart life. It's a life of communion. People said to Jesus, how do you do the things you do? He, he in, fact, in effect said, I, what do you mean, you? I'm not a you. It's me and the Father. I don't do anything by myself. Do you? Remember, we said that in this church a couple of years ago. God's not asking you to do one thing for him. He just asks you to do everything with him. Emmanuel, we sang it this morning. Praise God. 
If you remain in that revelation, then you will bear much fruit. But if you do not remain in that revelation, you start to think of yourself as apart from him, then you cannot bear the life of Christ, a life in communion. That's like a tree that refuses to put its roots in the stream that gives it life. And that's what Jesus meant. And we sang that again this morning too. John 15. He said this, As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. What's he talking about? Come on, he's talking about our union with him. Unless you abide in that, if you do, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. As a man thinks, so he is. We know this from Proverbs 23, 7. So as long as a believer does not grow out of thinking of themselves as apart from God and grow up into Christ into the new life of union with Christ, the renewal of their minds, then their thinking remains double-minded, you know? You're a saint one day and a sinner the next. You have everything you need in Christ one day, the next you're saying, God, where are you? A double-minded man finds it very difficult to receive, praise God, to receive what has been given. That's the book of James. The purpose of ascension ministries in the church is to communicate a revelation that grows you up into Christ. Your ministry as a believer is simply the expression of your life in the Spirit, your life in God, your union with God, your abiding in. Many of us as Christians have spent years waiting, abiding for Christ rather than abiding in Christ. We have spent years thinking of ourselves as apart from Christ, and we have discovered that what Jesus said was quite correct. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Because without that revelation, you'll be very, 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 very busy, but there'll be nothing birthed of eternal consequence because the life of Christ is an eternal life. They call it the barrenness of busyness. Saul of Tarsus was a deeply religious man, but I love this little verse that speaks about what he was like there before God that day. It says, his eyes were open, but he could see nothing. What a description of the natural man, even the natural-minded believer. Their eyes are open, but they can see nothing. But that's not you and me. Let me finish by saying this. As long as the average churchgoer only thinks of themselves as being with Christ one day at the end of their natural lives, one day in heaven, then their ministry in this world can only manifest separation, for that's what they are believing in. For them, in Christ will be a place you go to one day, For them, church is a place you go to, not a revelation of your identity, the place you live from. We began with Paul saying, I was made a minister by what was bestowed on me. And what the Holy Spirit bestowed on him was nothing less than a revelation of who God saw him to be. And 2,000 years later, that's still how the Holy Spirit grows believers up into Christ. So let me finish by reading that again, because this is our testimony today. This is what the Holy Spirit would have us to know for this generation that we're living in, in 2019. He would have us receive this revelation so that this city and Donegal and all over this nation, the presence of God would be manifest in the lives of people by faith. The faith which has come by hearing the true gospel, what we read this morning, the true knowledge of God, that we could say, just as Paul could say, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed in me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, 
the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God will to make it known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Praise God.